Welcome to Season 4 of the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. This is Thomas Gallagher. I'll be your host for today. I've had a front row seat watching today's guest play a game that he's loved since he was a young boy. He's passed down that love to his entire family. And I've been there through the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. He continues to share his passion for golf any chance he gets. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest. He's a five-time PGA Tour winner, member of both winning 1993 Ryder Cup and 1994 President's Cup teams, inducted into the Indiana Golf Association Hall of Fame, University of Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, and most recently the Mississippi Golf Association Hall of Fame, All-American, All-SEC, my dad, the one and only Jim Gallagher Jr., how we doing? Doing great. Man, that's quite an introduction. I didn't know you uh, knew that much about me. <laughs> well, to me, you're just my dad, but I guess you've got you've got some stats behind you. So. Yeah, I've got a few stats going there. Well, thanks for um, for having me today. It's been a pleasure seeing you start this podcast. I know it's taken a, a little bit of help from from all of us, but we've it's, enjoyed it. It's, it's a you. team effort. It's a little different because I usually control the questions and I don't like to not be in control. <laughs> it's one of my problems in life. <laughs> I like to control what I'm doing. And now I guess I got to let you just go and I'll just have to answer your questions, don't I? That's right. You're the, you're the caddy for today, I guess. I've <laughs> been fired more than once. But I want to start kind of talking um, about your early years and um, then we'll kind of go, go through chronologically and... Um, Kind of see, you know, from start to finish how how much you love golf and and your your past and and your your present and your future. So, um, starting off, tell us a little bit about your childhood, early days, and really, how did you get started in golf? That's a great question. Uh, my dad and mom grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. He actually caddied at Sunny Hanna, which now has a Sunny Hanna Am a great amateur tournament and. I guess he got tired of painting railroad cars and, and all that stuff at night, and, and uh, they had me. And when I was about a month old, he found a, the magazine, Golfton Magazine. There was an article or actually an ad in there mm-hmm. looking for an assistant pro in Marion, Indiana, which seemed like all the way across the world. And they packed up, and we headed over there when I was a month old. And, you know, we lived in a little bitty house, which would be equivalent to maybe a one-car, two-car garage. I mean, it was like three rooms in the whole house. And... It was just crazy. Of course, I was so young, I wouldn't have known that. We moved out to the club when Dad got the uh, head professional job. And I guess I started playing when I was two or three years old. You know, Dad kind of got me some cutoff clubs or whatever. Back then, we didn't have the U.S. kids and all the stuff we have now. But uh, I guess the person that spent the most time with me was my mom. Uh, you know, She was there with me. Dad was working 70, 80 hours a week at the pro, pro shop and always there. But he took time. Uh, when he could and, and we went around back in they had three wheel carts and a little handle in the front so it's way back that's way back then and we grew up on or i grew up on next to the 17th green and the 15th tee and i was probably three two or three years old and i guess my first nine holes was when i was five but mom always really paid attention to what my grip was like what my setup was like that's the things dad had told her to look for and, and those were the fun times i even built my own little golf course in the backyard because I had a pretty good size area and mm-hmm. I'd dig holes out, put a Campbell soup can in the ground and I'd make my own flags and all that stuff. And I got a little adventuresome and actually dug a hole on the championship tee of 18, which was right in my yard. It was actually on my golf course, I thought. And I got busted on that. But, uh, you know, it was just a lot of fun times there just as a young kid doing that. Yeah. And your dad, I guess, Pap-Pap as we call him, right. um, was the pro at Michigamisha where you grew up in Marion and for 45 years and, you know, as an instructor in the pro and, um, in that small house, you know, you lived, I guess, right on the 12th fairway. 
tell us about you know sneaking out on the course and being able to play when you weren't old enough. Um, I believe you were nine years old. You said. Yeah, it was. It, we moved to this house when we had Jackie. So Jeff, my okay. brother, was born. He's four years younger, and it was really a hundred yards from the golf club or from the clubhouse. And I was probably even younger than that. I was probably seven or eight, and I'd sneak out and I'd go. Nobody's around. I'd sneak out and I'd go play twelve, and I'd venture off to thirteen. Mm-hmm. If I could get past those two holes, they couldn't see me anymore at the club. So I snuck out the fourteen. Home free. I was free. I thought, and then if I really got cocky. I try to go out to 15, but normally I kind of ease my way back into down 18, and, and Dad would always catch me out there, and he was watching. Don't think he wasn't, and uh, pick me up, and, and really, uh, he was really good about it. He didn't want me to break the rules because to him, we were just, you know, staff. We, were, we weren't members, and I don't know. That kind of was a bummer to me. I never understood that because I always felt like, not inferior, but I was like a notch below everybody, and Right. Uh, and that, that kind of bothered me a little bit, but I just I understood that's just my role in life. And, and when I finally got to be nine years old, I could go out and play uh, at certain hours because back then you couldn't play only certain hours as a kid, and even the ladies weren't allowed because there was just these crazy rules they had. Right. And I just loved to play. We didn't have a driving range. They had a swimming pool, and, and you never could play on the weekends, and Dad didn't have time. Uh, but it was great because, I mean, he'd let me. I remember one time he caught me, and I was probably – maybe just almost nine and he said all right you're suspended for a week and i was oh man i cried and i was like counting the days down and checking them off when i could get back out and play right and 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 that was just tough i just loved to play and and that was just one of the passions i had early on i guess just because i it was right there in front of me that's awesome so when did you you know you took that liking young and always took the chance you could to to sneak out and play those holes but when did you start to play in tournament golf and um you know, where did that take you? Yeah, that's a good question because I, I remember there was, I went through some scrapbooks. My mom did such a great job. I kept every article that was ever written on all of us and she's given me those and there's, oh, 20 of them in our house and, <laughs> and, and we just recently... She would never throw anything never away. Never threw anything <laughs> away. I, I just went back with my dad back about a month or pap-pap as we call him, you know, a month or so ago and the stuff we still found. It was just amazing. And I did. I started playing kind of locally uh, at nine or 10 years old, you know, you had to know the rules. That's one thing my dad really did a great job of is he said, you got to know the rules. Mm-hmm. You can't play. And he would teach all of us, all the kids around the club. And you can talk to him now there and I'm 60 years old and all these people who are now grown ups all know the rules of golf because of the way my dad did that. And that was one thing he, he's just, you are going to know the rules. And we did. And we tried to trick him on the, back then they had the decisions book and we tried to trick him on a rule. Uh, but then I got pretty good locally and then probably, I think I may have played one or two. And then when I got to be 10 or 11, I'd play a few more in the state. And I just kind of stayed in the state most of the time there. And my goal was always to win a trophy. I wanted to win as many trophies as, as I could. That was just something that kind of, you know, made me go. Uh, basketball, of course, was huge at Indiana where I grew up. And, and really, you didn't play organized basketball probably until you are in fifth grade or sixth grade. But we did. We played a bunch of those. And I, I may have played my first U.S. junior when I was maybe 14 or 15. But most of the time, I didn't. My dad, one thing he was smart about is he never let me get a play above my level. Uh, he always made me strive to get to that level, but never put me in where I was over my head. Like, you know, I wouldn't go play in the state am when I was 11 just so right. I could say I played in the state am and shoot 90 and then just be demoralized. Uh, I tried that one time. I'm probably getting a little ahead of where you want to talk about, but no, that's fine. He, 
I remember the state open and I was probably 14. I just won the county tournament. I thought I was a big dog because I shot 67, 69, 71, which back then was pretty dang good for <laughs> a 14 year old. And I just, I think I may have won the county youngest one ever at 15 years old. And that was, you know, two weekends, four different courses, beat all the amateurs in the area. And I thought my game was ready for the Indiana state open, which is primarily the club pros and the pros and a few top amateurs. Dad just said, no, you're not ready. And I just begged and begged and begged. And then about an 85 and 86 later, I kind of figured out I was wrong. You know, he just kind of <laughs> took your medicine. I took my medicine yeah. and licked the wounds and went on home like a scalded dog. And, and um, you know, that's my advice to kids out there and parents. You know, get them in levels until they can. You want to make them push. But Dad was smart enough. He knew I was really good. But he didn't want me to get in there where I would be embarrassed. And, in, right. and I think that was one of the smart things. He also, when I was in ninth grade, I was probably the best player on the mm -hmm. high school team. But he told the coach, never let me play number one. Wow. Make me keep working at it. Even though I knew I was number one, he'd never let me play number one. And that was... Kept you, kept you grinding, kept you motivated. He did. Whether that was right or wrong, it worked because it did. That's interesting. Uh, he did. He never let me play number one, even though I was the best player. And I come in there, I can't believe. Did you know that was the case? or did No, you? never knew that till after I was oh, really? older. You know, until he never <laughs> told the, he told the coach that. And I was like, I can't believe I'm not playing number one. I mean, I just beat him by 10 shots, you know, or whatever. Right. So those are just the things you grew up. And, and the tournaments were fun. I had so many great – so many. that's one thing about Indiana. They had so many great club pros. And we had a – each part of the state, the north, the central, and the south, each had a junior tournament on Fridays and some on Mondays and, and Wednesdays. And so, it, you know, it's bigger now than it ever has been. But we always had places to play. And, and I didn't get to play a lot of top, fancy, whatever right we want to call them, top golf courses in the state. That was special to get that opportunity to play a junior tournament there because they just didn't open it up for the kids very often. Right. Uh, like Crooked Stick, I didn't play that till I was older. You know, uh, all the Country Club of Indianapolis, Meridian Hills, all these great courses in Indianapolis, Fort Wayne Country Club. And our golf course, Machingo Misha, where I grew up, was a top 10 or 15 course in the state. And and we'd had a couple state opens there. But, you know, those opportunities to play those premier golf courses was always something that we always wanted to get to. And finally, you did as you got older. That's awesome. So, yeah, what were those national events that, um, that you kind of strive for? And when did you start playing those? I think I was... Probably 15, I got. I think I qualified for the U.S. Junior. It was at High One Country Club in Denver. I knew nothing about altitude, didn't know anything about mountains, <laughs> didn't know anything about thunderstorms. The only thing I knew is Coors Beer was, you know, brewed <laughs> out there. And I didn't drink, obviously, but I just knew that's the only thing I knew about right. Colorado. Come sure. to the Rockies. And and uh, I remember my brother and my sister went after my mom, drug us all out there. And, you know, they're little. And, and here, poor mom taking us out there across the country. We flew in there. And... I mean, it costs money to do that. It's just like now. It's not cheap. And mm -hmm. I got out there, and they kept saying the ball would break away from the mountains. Well, all I saw was mountains around everywhere, and I three-putted so many greens, <laughs> and then the lightning storm came up, and I felt like we were above the clouds. And it wasn't a great experience. I missed qualifying for match play by a few shots, but it was really a complete different type of game going out there with the altitude. I never made the adjustments properly, and I don't think I was over my head. I just wasn't quite ready for that type of golf uh, there. But th I was probably 15 when that happened. I don't know that I maybe only played in one other U.S. junior. Uh, try to, I didn't start trying to qualify for the U.S. Am. I don't think until I was in college. Dad wouldn't let me do it. But, right. you know, high school golf was something we did. And like I said, I played basketball up until, you know, seventh grade. I sat on the bench, got to know the managers real well, kept stats, you know, never got into that. I was a, I was a kid that got in with 30 seconds left and everybody just trying to score. Yeah. 
you know, and I, I wasn't that good. And I'd make the trans, you know, I transferred over from the Catholic school to the big public school. And in eighth grade, I started kind of like golf. I just was a, kind of the underdog. I always kind of took that role and, and embraced it throughout golf and anything else. It kind of made me work harder. And in ninth grade, and the big transition is you went from the three junior highs fed into the high school, which had about a thousand kids in each graduating class. Right. And so there were 3,000 students and they'd won two state championships. Well, I thought my basketball was something I, because everybody wanted to play. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the gym held well, seven. Indiana was a huge basketball. Huge. And it held 7,000 people in my high school gym. I mean, it right. was like, this is like a college. Yeah. And so your goal is, man, you want to play for the Marion Giants and wear that purple uniform and all right. that stuff. And, you know, golf, I knew I was really good at. And I remember you know, playing this summer. And the coach then, who'd won two state championships, was a huge golfer, Bill Green. And one of the Hall of Fame high school, won multiple, multiple high school championships. And he said, don't worry about it. You're on the team. Just work on your golf game. You need to work on that. That's where your future is. So I didn't go to the down, you know, in downtown. They played basketball all summer long. I just didn't do it. And then right. I came out, and he had retired. I said, okay, here we go. So then they brought a new coach in. And I got hurt on the last day of tryouts. Hurt my back, fell backwards, and I couldn't even walk. And basically was the last guy cut. And I was just like devastated because here's this thing I always wanted to play in this big arena, basketball in Indiana. And I got hurt. I don't know if I'd have played much that year, but I would have been on the team. And then you'd have right. been a big man on campus or whatever. And to me, the whole world was coming to an end. Lo and behold, what I didn't know that being cut was the best thing that ever happened for my golf because then I focused in 10th grade on right. in my golf. And, you know, people ask me, is it okay to have your kids play other sports? Absolutely. Right. I think it's important to play all of them up to a point. Right. And, and for me, being cut took care of all those other questions and answers for me. Yeah. It was kind of like the reverse MJ effect. Like you, Yes. you know, Michael Jordan had that, I guess it was his early high school career, got cut from the team. But he obviously loved basketball, and mm -hmm. you were the opposite, loved golf. And so you found what that cut did for you and, and what it, you know, kind of shifted your priorities and, and your mindset. It did, because in the wintertime, then I just hit balls into a net in the locker room. Yeah. And, and it was so weird, because we'd get snow, and if we could find any kind of grass, we would hit from grass to grass. There'd be snow piles up, and we'd just hit from grass to grass. <laughs> that's how much we loved it. Yeah. And, you know, you couldn't play much March through maybe November, and then those three other three or four months, it just snowed. It was cold. Uh, and, and so, you know, I was sitting there going like, all right, golf's my future. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with it. I was playing in a few more national tournaments. The AJGA was just starting to come upon mm -hmm. and, and be in existence. And, you know, I played a lot of junior tournaments across the country nationally. About that was probably my sophomore year. And then you got to decide, I mean, when are you going to decide, are you going to take us any further? Uh, right. Can you get a scholarship? I mean, because it's not like it is now. I mean, you had to write a letter to the coach, and that would take how many days to get there. They would write you back. They couldn't contact you until you were in your junior year, so that was the only phone call. So there wasn't an internet, wasn't an email. They could come out to tournaments and watch, but it wasn't like it is now. So, you know, I sent it out to as many teams in the South as I could. Dad kind of wanted me to stay closer or go to the South where I could play year-round. And if I stayed in state, he really liked the coach at Ball State, Earl Yessemeyer, who was actually my brother Jeff's coach. And he liked him. Uh, and he would say, okay, if you're going to stay up north, you can go to Ball State. But, you know, I sent those letters out. Ohio State had a, just had won the national championship. Uh, I think it was maybe I was a junior in high school or something. So they were a top team. Jack mm -hmm. Nicholas, John Cook, all these – Joey Sindler, all these great players had played there. But it was up north. 
And you knew you wanted to be in the South. I wanted to be in the South, but it would have been great to look at. Uh, however, I, my mindset was I want to go South. And I sent it to all the SEC teams. And, uh, you know, I'd get a junior college, be interested in this. Florida State had a small scholarship. Uh, several schools. Florida, I was going to go visit. And I remember their coach. I was driving up from the Junior Orange Bowl in Miami. He said, we don't give scholarships to freshmen. Well, he was a new coach. And I said, well, this freshman is going on. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm still on up 75. That's probably right. why I don't like the Gators to this day. Um, sent letters out. I got one letter back from one coach in the SEC. He said, dear student athlete. And uh, I kind of passed on that one. And that right. school is, uh, as they call it, in Titletown. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because we were watching the – what was it? The Miami. Yeah, the U. Uh, the U. Yeah. Second season, mm-hmm. 30 for 30. And it's not like they could, in that time, they couldn't, um, I guess, give you a second scholarship to, like, go right. play basketball. Right. And then, Obviously, in your right. case, you weren't, you know, you couldn't run track and then go no, play football. But, not very fast. Um, so you didn't get that opportunity. But, like, what what was that like and what was the cr- recruiting process like um, and, and how hard was it to – to be, or I guess, be recruited by an SEC school, being in another state, Indiana. That um, was that's a good question because I I didn't want to get too far away at the time. I had a girlfriend like every other person. I didn't want to leave, and I was like, well, that's not a reason to stay. And and I went down and visited South Carolina and Columbia, and their campus was close to town. And I I don't know, I just didn't feel comfortable there. Didn't feel like I was going to fit there. Uh, the other place I did visit was Tennessee. Coach Malarkey was there, and my dad really liked Coach Malarkey. His dad was a club pro. So dad had a lot of kind of ties and, and kind of things that he felt Coach Malarkey would. And he, Coach Malarkey did do this. He said, I'll never touch Jim's golf swing. You're his instructor, and if I have anything, I'll call you. And so I went down there on the recruiting trip, and just like anything else, I was a little overwhelmed because I didn't sure. know these people. And, you know, they're college I mean, kids. I'm- Knoxville's how far from here? It's about seven hours. Yeah, and so you're. I'm pretty far yeah. away. It seemed like the moon, but it wasn't. But it was close enough that if I needed to get home, I could. But the thing that kind of turned me in there was I went to the Tennessee Army game, and Army hadn't won a game in years. And there's ninety some thousand screaming people in orange. And mm-hmm. I was a Notre Dame fan my whole life. I went to all the games. I went to the when they came out the Trojan horse and the green jerseys and the SEC games, USC games. I mean, right. and I was just there for all those. And I love Notre Dame, but there was something that attracted me there. Like this place gets it, and they didn't have a very good team. And there was a guy named Ricky Gregg who was a senior, and he was All American, All SEC, great player. And he was there during my recruiting trip. And, and I kind of hung out with him a little bit. And, and of all the people I met there, he was the one that kind of stood out. And I felt like if Ricky Gray could be as good a player as he is, why can't I do that here? And why can't I come down here and help build a program? Basically, not from scratch, but just kind of a be someone that can – and I knew I was going to play. That's the one thing. Like Houston was a top school in the country. They had so many yeah. national championships. But I was never going to get to play. And until. you felt like you – you wanted to be the person. You wanted to be on a team that you could play, not right. just an all-American team that was right. Just because we could win a national championship, or, and, yeah. and I, I mean, I knew I was good enough to play for it. But I remember Paul Marchand, who played there, was from Indiana. We played in the state open together, and he said, "You know, you might want to look elsewhere because you may not get a chance to play till your junior senior year." Well, I don't want to sit around in Houston, Texas. That's right. I came down to play golf, and so I didn't even go down and visit. And he he thought he was shocked. You know, the coach was shocked that I wouldn't even look. But I just wanted to go where I could play. And I decided to, as they say, take my talents to Knoxville That's and, right. uh, you know, decided to go to school there. And 
that was, you know, when I first committed, I was all excited and it was wearing orange and all this stuff and it was really cool. But then when I had to make that trip down there, it was like, oh my gosh. And my dad drove me down and I remember him dropping me off when there was another one of his buddies came down and they just dropped me off the dorm and said, they spent the night and said, all right, see you. Wow. So here I am. I drove my car down. I'm down there by myself. I don't know a soul other than Ricky Gregg, who's no longer on the team <laughs> and he's nowhere to be found. You know, right. he's trying to play professionally. And, uh, I was like, okay, what have I got myself into? Were you terrified? I was a little intimidated and scared. I didn't know where I was going. Uh, I got out, and then I got in the dorm, because I lived in the athletic dorm, which was called Gibbs Hall. And I met a few of the guys, and I remember this is before school even started and all that stuff, and, and John Hamrick and Dick Von Tacky decided we were going to go hunt golf balls at Fox Den at night. Not during the day, at night. Now, this Fox, was freshman year? This, I didn't start it. Yeah, I didn't start at school. <laughs> So we're going to go hunt golf balls, oh, but we don't have a ball retriever, and it's in the night. Right. And we're going to go in the pond. And we're Flashlight? Going, no. <laughs> no. We're just going to wade down there because we don't get caught by the security guard. So we go down there, and we're digging through this lake. And, I mean, we take pillowcases, and we got both pillowcases full of balls. And we're walking out with a stash, and all of a sudden, security guard stands up and goes, Freeze! I got you covered! I mean, I'm freaking out like, oh, my God, I'm going to get kicked out of school. My dad's going to kill me. I'm not going to get to start classes. Life is over. I'm lost. And I'll go out with these two yo-yos. <laughs> and uh, he let us go, but we had to give up the stash. And so he got all the golf balls. So needless to say, I didn't do a lot with John, and I loved Hammer. Right. Uh, but that was my first kind of, okay, I better get my act together. And, and you know, we got in there the freshman year. You, know, you had to go and qualify. And they, they were a bunch of guys who were red shirt freshmen. Mm -hmm. And Stuart Smith, Jeff Walker, uh, I'm going to leave names out. Kevin Janica was already on the team. Hamrick was already on the team. So these guys were good. And I was obviously the highest recruited player they had. Well, lo and behold, we get out there the first, I don't know, week or so. And Jeff Jones, he was a big long ball hitter. I mean, he was longer than Freddie Couples in Freddie's heyday. Mm -hmm. And he was amazing how far he could hit it. And, uh, it was just a real competitive team. And I remember Coach, we had to have a meeting with Coach. Something had happened, and we were all mad at Coach. And I was ready to go home. I honestly was ready to go home after about that first two or three weeks. I was not just uh, – not only homesick, I was just fed up with it. This isn't what I signed up for. Right. Uh, and you know what? Just new environment, new culture. Yeah, community. and I didn't like the way things were going, and it just wasn't for me. And then something changed that day. I don't know, it was a good Lord standing up and said, why don't you just kind of hang in there? I think mom and dad, because we didn't have cell phones. You had to make a call and hope they accepted the right, you know, right. collect call and all that stuff. And, and so he, finally they convinced me, stay for the whole semester. And if you don't like it, we'll make a decision. And lo and behold, we got the plan. I got the qualifying. And our team was a bunch of young people in, in Hammer and Janica. And we actually started having some success. Well, that got to be fun. And by the end of the year, we ended up winning the SEC with a bunch of no-names. Wow. Uh, and beat Florida, which is even better considering I wasn't going to get a scholarship right. at Florida. <laughs> Not to say anything about the Gators, Gator but Bay. there you go, Gators. Uh, and, and it was just great. We win the SEC. We go to the Nationals. I think we finished maybe seventh. Ohio State, which was close to home. I had a chance to be second-team All-American, win a trip to Japan, and I played bad the last nine holes. Got a little nervous, got a little ahead of myself, and – had a horrible back nine and, and missed out on some stuff there. It was honorable all mention, honorable all American, mm -hmm. uh, mentioned all American and SEC, you know, first team. So that was a cool first year, and then second year, you know, I played okay. I got mono and, and didn't feel very oh, good man. that whole second year. So that was kind of a a bummer year. Team was still good. 
We Did you ever miss a trip? I missed. That's a good question. So when I got had mono, I came in. I couldn't couldn't play anything for about a month, and I and I think I sat out for the one trip because of mono. Okay. Uh, I didn't get to go to Grandfather Mountain because of mono, and so then I finally was cleared to play, and I actually missed qualifying for the trip at LSU, which that gets to a whole long story we'll get to later. Yeah. Uh, and I missed that trip, and they got washed out, so it didn't even count. So that was a really, as far as qualifying, I only missed that one event and because the one, be- sick, and one yeah. because I was with Mono. So mm-hmm. uh, we ended up going to the Nationals, and we had a great, you know, a pretty good run there. Uh, and, and, and our team was really pretty solid. We, uh, I think we even finished better that year than we did the year before. And I played okay towards the end of the year. I just never felt good the whole year. Right. Junior year, you know, I came back out and had a great year uh, and, and, and just was really ready to play and, and it was fun and honorable, honorable mention All-American again, All-SEC. It was like every other year I played well. Right. Um, and our team was ranked in the top five in the country, but we missed the cut at Nationals. Mm. So that was kind of a bummer, played at Pinehurst. And then my senior year, we were uh, ranked in the top 25 and did not get a bid to the NCAAs. Gosh. Because back then... They divided this country up into four parts, and they like the South used to have seven. Okay. And then they decided my senior year to cut it in half, and the North got three, and the South got four, and the best teams were in the North. Right. And we were battling it out. I mean, we're in the top 25 in the country, and one team didn't come to the last tournament because they knew if they did, we beat them, it'd knock them out. Lo and behold, we don't make it. And Stuart Smith, one of my teammates, made it as an individual. So it was a bummer way to finish my senior year. And now they've got regionals, and it's a lot different. Sure. And, and I think the that, season's a lot longer. And... Right, and they get, that's what I think changed the most is probably things like that with a team like us was making it where a team up north that had no business being there right. were, were taking a spot. Uh, because it was picked. It wasn't earned. And now they've got regionals where they do pick them, but there's 60-some teams make it. So it's a lot different. When did your mindset change from college golf um, – to thinking about pro golf because like obviously you weren't expecting your senior year to finish like the way it did you know when did you start having those those thoughts going through your head about pro golf i mean obviously you probably dreamed about it your whole life yeah, but i would say my junior year i won the state i won the state am in indiana uh my junior year and had a really good summer and i started thinking okay i'm, I'm pretty good and i guess really kind of one back-to-back state ams won the state open Kind of after that, I graduated, and I told Dad, okay, I want to turn pro, but he said, well, let's wait till the summer's out because there's nowhere to play if you turn pro, mm-hmm. and I didn't have any money. And so it was kind of, I guess, my junior year in college where I kind of thought, but my biggest goal in college was to get a four-year degree and graduate on time. Right. And that I didn't care about anything else but getting my degree and finishing on time. Right. That was my goal, and I did. And I had to go to a lot of mini-tour, mini-tour, mini-term classes. Mid-term, which were yeah, mid-term. Yeah. Well, you take 10 days, and you take – I took – tax accounting in 10 days because oh, right. yeah, my yeah. head would explode if I took it any other way. So I did I did make a, a B in there. But right. I, that was what I was most proud of in college is the fact that I graduated on time in four years, had a very successful college career. Could have been better. Uh, you can always say that. But we went to the membership at my dad's club at Machinga Mission. 35 members put up $1,000 a piece and I raised or more. And I raised $48,000 to turn pro uh, and we called it JR Enterprises Incorporated, which junior, you know, that's yeah, kind of sure. how it came up. And we organized it that way. And that's, that's awesome. how I had money to go to Q school. And that's kind of when it all was like, okay, big boy. 
I was going to play in the USAM. That was going to be my qualifier. It was going to be my last event. Mm-hmm. I forgot to send my entry on on time. Oh, man. It was just a mistake. <laughs> I thought it was due the next week, and I'm sitting there with the executive director. He goes, you playing in a qualifier? I go, when is that? A couple weeks? He goes, no, it's next week. And I go, oh, oh gosh. I got to send my entry in. Well, it looks like I'm turning pro. Oh, so it was just it's like crazy how that oh I know it was just, just changed just, and that was my fault I mean I would that was it was just like I wasn't I thought I'd already sent it in I wasn't paying attention sure. I thought I had more time and it's just kind of like getting cut from the basketball team you know, right. here we go uh, this mistake and now okay now I'm gonna turn pro and and because you didn't want to turn pro because there's nowhere to play many tours you just go broke so my first pro tournament was in Evansville Indiana. Don Bassessi was the pro, and he invited me down, and I'd never been to southern Indiana in my life, and it's a hilly little mother, like Billy Goat Junction out there, and, and tight, tight fairways. I do nothing about bounce on my sand wedge, and so I get up there, and I bust this drive down the first hole, gets to the top of the hill, and rolls all the way back about 50 yards. I said, all right, so I got sand wedge in, and I chunk it because it's so tight a line. It hits up there, rolls back behind me. Needless to say, it was a tough day. At the end of the week, I think I made enough money to maybe cover expenses in my entry fee, so I maybe made 150 bucks. And I thought this pro game is pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't. And I'm glad I didn't turn pro because of those are the things I'd had to do. What did you? Yeah. What were your expectations going into your pro career? No, I thought I could. I mean, I wanted to get through tour school, so that was my goal. And the, and, and playing in Evansville was just a, another tournament to get to that point to stay competitively sharp. Back then. They had the first stage of qualifying school. You had two chances. And so I went to the Golf Club of Indiana where I'd finished second in the state open. And I love the golf course. And it's in September, 1st of October, I guess. And maybe you, excuse me, maybe you had 100 and some guys for 15 spots, which wasn't very good odds. But I felt like, well, I can easily make it out of here. Well, we got a snow delay and blah, blah, blah. There was one guy, great story about tour school. So this guy shows up. He sent in his, whatever it was, 1500 or 2000 back then. He comes in in a trench coat, and he asked the pro if they supplied the equipment. No way. He just had $2,000, and he's like, what the heck? <laughs> and so, of course, they turned him down and gave him his Are money back and everything. But that was just, back then, if you had $2,000, people just showed up. So you figured, I'm going to beat most of these people. And I think I missed by a couple shots. I just, I put so much pressure on myself. The expectations were there. I strangled myself with that. So I missed. I mean, this is a shoe-in for me. This is a oh, golf yeah. course I knew. And so now I've got to wait about three more weeks. And the second place I signed up was for Deerfield in Madison, Mississippi, which goes further into my life. Right. It's amazing how this all happened. And I ended up... Had never... you even been to Mississippi? Heck no, I didn't even know where it was. <laughs> I knew it was in the south somewhere. Yeah, because y'all probably... They're probably we never did. No, Tennessee... When I went to Tennessee, to. we played in North Carolina and everything south and east, Florida. Sure. I knew where Mississippi was, but of I'd course. never been there. So I, I drive down there in my little car, and, and uh, I get to Deerfield. It's a cool little golf course. And actually, there's a guy, uh, Gino Dozier was my caddy. And uh, he was an Augusta caddy, and he knew – he was a caddy for somebody really – maybe it's Hal Sutton or somebody like that. I think yeah. it was Hal Sutton. And he saw me play at Indiana because he went up there because nobody was playing. I think the tour was off. And so he went up there, and he met me. He goes, hey, I want a caddy for you. So I said, okay. So he caddies for me there. And I have to come back – the, an extra day to finish the last three holes at Deerfield. Well, 16 at Deerfield is a par five where you hit like five iron off the tee. It's a crazy weird par five. You can't hit driver because it's about 20 yards wide. Water left, junk right. And so it's 
50 degrees, it's cold, and I get out there, and I, needless to say, I make it. And it was really kind of nerve-wracking. And there were back then, there was only eight spots because oh, it was cut in half, basically. So I got through there, and then the finals uh, were at the TPC at Sawgrass. And so I get to go to Sawgrass, and that's where the finals are. And that's no the fall way. of 83. And you never played there, obviously. No. And my friends, Bob and Mim Marks, were living across the street at Sawgrass, and they were friends. And one of the sponsors was a brother of, of Mim and Mr. Capella. So I stayed with them, but they weren't there. And uh, so they, they were going to be gone, and they said, you'd stay at the condo, but don't bother the neighbors next door because they're newlyweds. I said, okay. Well, it was Kim Alexis, the supermodel, was next door, serious? which I didn't know. And I'm thinking, here I am, 22 years old, and there's Kim Alexis next door and her husband. Oh but that was kind of a funny story, to, which is off the thing from the, from the tour That's school. That's hilarious. But dad come down, came down, mom came down, and I had then hired uh, an Augusta caddy right. uh, named Ben. I can't remember Ben's last name. And he was on Craig Stadler's bag when he won Augusta. Where are you getting all these Augusta caddies from? They're just, they're following the tour. Back then they yeah. followed the tour and one of them knew, hey, this guy can play. They come up to you and you said, sure, come on, caddy That's for me. That's awesome. And so I knew what you wanted to pay him. Uh, and, and I never wanted to get too far ahead because you didn't know, I didn't know them, whether they'd show up, didn't show up. And oh, there's yeah. nothing against them being caddies. I just didn't know them. And I was young, and I just don't want to hand out cash. You don't, yeah, you don't have a LinkedIn. No, I don't. Have, no, I don't have, yeah, exactly. And everything in there. Everybody knows what's going on. <laughs> so we, so I got out there, and we played like two or three practice rounds. And the year before, they had played Sawgrass Country Club, which is actually harder than the TPC. But for this year, it was 144 guys, 50 spots, and I make the 72 hole cut, hanging in there pretty good. And then on the fifth day, uh, Ben doesn't show up. He's late. And he kept asking for money, and I didn't want to get too far ahead of myself. And no cut to Ben. I mean, he was trying to stay alive and survive. Yeah. And he'd been down there for eight days with me, and, and I paid him up to that point. Uh, and for some reason, he was late. And I remember my dad said, all right, I'll caddy for you. And I didn't have the big staff bag, but I had the pretty big-sized staff right. bag. So that and was... Back then, they were... They were still heavy. They were all leather. Yeah, and Dad now. probably... Gosh, I can't even think how old Dad would have been then. Uh, dad would have probably been 50, yeah. late forties. So he grabs that bag and Ben shows up on that first tee. He says, get out of here. I forgot more about catting. You'll ever know. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is a good way to start today. You know? And so wow. we get out the fifth round and it gets, I'm playing really well and it gets rained out because the weather was horrible. So we start back over long story short, I played pretty decent for the fifth day. And on the last day I was actually finishing on number nine because of where we, finished and they didn't reach repair uh, right so i get up on i think it was 14 and i bail it out way right and back then they had the, the stadium of course it just had the like the they didn't have bleachers but they had the grass and oh, the mounds yeah, yeah. and that's where people sat well mom happened to be up on one of those mounds when i blew it right and she found the ball embedded or i would have lost my ball no way so she found out of it, anywhere to sit anywhere to sit it was right next to her so she finds it of course mom was there the hero once again and I get through that, and I get to the the ninth hole, and I think, I think this was this was I think this was the last day, and my ball ends up on the palm from, which was the big branch, but the leaf, and the ball's sitting up like a baseball, yeah. And there's a creek going across, and I said, Dad, I can hit it off this thing. He goes, Have you lost your mind? I go, no, I can do it. Well, I'm, you know, I don't know where I stand. There's no scoreboards or anything, right? So I pop this little five iron, get it across the creek, make five, and end up finishing twenty sixth at tour school and get my card. Wow. 
And I'm thinking have, the top top fifty made it. Top fifty. Okay. And I'm thinking, okay, man, I have made it. I am there. I am big time in it. You know, wow. I'm big dogging it. I'm on the tour, uh, and this is in November, first of December, and so it was a priority. You didn't, you weren't guaranteed your card to, to make a schedule. You had to come in according to all the exempt players that were ahead of you, and then what else was filled in by tour school guys. And normally on the West Coast, you would get in two to four tournaments, and so. Time rolls around, and uh, my first event is San Diego, uh, which is now the Farmers at Torrey Pines. Well, my friend Peter Kiley, who I grew up with in junior golf and a member at the club, he's going to school at the University of San Diego. He's going caddy. So he's writing a paper on caddying what? at San Diego while caddying with me. Did he know anything class. about? Oh, no, he played golf. Oh, okay, okay. And he played Torrey Pines, but he's writing a paper as part of his class. That's how he got out of class. At least that's what he told me he did, knowing Peter. Now he <laughs> Any works. excuse. Yeah, he's working for C-SPAN and has ever since. But oh, So okay. we get out there, and I shoot 71. I chip it in on the last hole for dinner. I told him I'm going to chip it in. He goes, I bet you don't. I said, I'll bet you dinner, and I chip it in for dinner. I shoot 71. No way. So my first pro round was a 71. Now, the first tee was a little nerve-wracking. So the second day, I shoot 71 again. So I shoot 71-71. And I look at the scoreboard. My name's right next to Tom Watson. I'm thinking, I'm going to play with Tom Watson. Well, I missed the cut by a shot. Oh. I shoot 200 par, 71-71, missed the cut by a shot. And I'm thinking, dang, I thought I was good. Yeah. And it was kind of a blow because I didn't know when I was going to get in again. Uh, somehow, and I don't remember that year if I got an exemption or came in on my number, but a week or so later, I got to play at Pebble Beach at the Crosby and missed the cut there and that was kind of okay those are the only two events i got in so going into the last event was riviera and i stayed with friends all the time I had, somehow somewhere right. i had friends i led the tour in free housing i always say <laughs> i knew people everywhere and so i stayed in some friends houses and they lived east of la and i just was i went in there and i knew it was 10th alternate okay so i call in wednesday and i say all right I'm 10th alternate, what's my chances? They go, oh, you'll never get in 10th alternate. Well, back then, you used to go sit on the tee in case somebody withdrew, because guys withdrew all the time, really? the last minute or whatever. Well, I figured 10th alternate, no use doing it. Yeah, they can't just tweet or text you on your no, cell phone. No, or call you, because I didn't have a cell phone. I mean, you could call the landline, I guess. Well, so you're just waiting. You're on deck. You, you do, if you go to the site. But being 10th alternate, she said I wasn't getting in. I didn't even go. Really? As it turned out, they played two people short. I would have gotten in. Big lesson learned. Yep. If you're close to Auburn it and you're in town, you better show up Be there. and sit there. Yeah. So that was kind of how my West Coast ended. And then they reshuffled according to what you had won, and I didn't make a penny. So I went from 26th on the priority list or the whatever list right. to now about 48 or 9. Man. Which meant I wasn't going to get in anything. And now we're heading to Florida. And I got basically no status even though I went through tour school. So the dream of I've made it to the PGA Tour is becoming a nightmare. And I think that was a thing that was very hard to adjust. And when I got there, I mean, mom and dad had a place in Palm Beach Gardens, so I had got a place to practice down there. Sure. Jack Nicholas, actually, I'd written him, and he let me got me on at Frenchman's Creek. They were managing it. And so I had a place to practice a little bit. I went to PJ National a bunch. And so I'm thinking, I don't even have a chance to get into Rao or the Honda. So I go Monday qualify. I've already got my tour card, but I'm having to Monday qualify. Right. And so I Monday qualify for Doral, the first one, and get through the qualifier. And so now I'm playing. And I know it's big. If I can make a cut and make some money, I'll reshuffle in the next shuffle, which is not until May. Uh, but I, I got to take advantage of it. And lo and behold, that was the first cut I ever made. 
No at, way. At, at Doral, and I finished 25th. And I don't know how After much. Monday qualifying. After Monday qualifying. Having my tour car, but still having the Monday sure. qualifying. I think I made, I don't know how much money. Uh, but at least I had made something. I did miss the next week at Honda and didn't qualify in the Monday qualifier. So now I don't get in until, I guess, New Orleans. I think I'm Monday there again and made it wow. through the qualifier, but then missed the cut. So, I mean, that was kind of a bummer, those first few events. And so I've only really played, what, three events. I'm already through April. Houston rolls around, and I get in last minute at Houston, and we have a players' meeting. And at the players' meeting, guys are complaining because tour school guys aren't getting in. You know, we got our tour cards. We're having a Monday qualifying. You know, you're not giving anything on the PJ Tour. And it's no it's handout, especially back then. Gets. And it's, you know, capitalism at its finest. If you play well, you get paid. If you mm-hmm. don't, you go broke. And I, we all stood up in the meeting and go, this is wrong, blah, blah, blah. And Jim Colbert, who was one of the guys on the board, player director board, stood up and said, boys, you just have to play better. Well, that's not exactly what we wanted to hear, and I'm not going to repeat on my podcast because this is G-rated of what right. was said. And we were all furious. And it was like, that's not the answer. It's not helping us any. He was right, though. If you play better, it would take care of it. I'm a right. grown man now real, at 60 years real old. Hard pill to swallow. It was a hard Yeah, and he was right. And I would take it off. And that meeting's gone down in history as one that everybody remembers, but he was exactly right in what he said. Mm-hmm. And if Jim's listening, you're exactly right. So, I mean... Uh, I ended up finishing 29th, I think, at Houston. So that reshuffled me in. Uh, I think I finally I got back into Dallas. Then I went on a bad string. I think I missed like six cuts in a row. And, you know, this little journey is not doing very well. I do have money to survive, but right. missing six cuts in a row is not good for your psyche. And July rolls around. I've played three events I've, or four events. I've made two cuts. I've made hardly any money. And... You have to finish in the top 125. Well, I got to get going, obviously. I think I made the cut at maybe Milwaukee, and then I top 10 to Quad Cities, and that was my first top 10. Made a few cuts after that, and uh, actually I hadn't played at Milwaukee. That was Anheuser-Busch where I, I made the cut, and I got mm. on a pretty good cut string where I made about eight in a row. So I'm playing every single week. Okay. And I'm thinking, God, I'm getting tired. Starting to get a rhythm. Right, but I'm to... getting a little tired, but you got to keep playing. You got to keep playing. And a funny story, Willie Wood, who played the tour with me, and Willie's sitting next to me, and I'm going to, back then you could play these Monday qual- or Monday Pro-Ams, and they pay you like 200 bucks to 400 bucks. Yeah. You can play, you know. You were playing in every Pro-Am. Uh, every Pro-Am I could get in, and I was just trying to survive, <laughs> you know. And so I called the tournament director, Gordon Chris, at Milwaukee, and I said, Mr. Chris, this is Jim Gallagher. I'd love to play in your Monday Pro-Am. He goes, well, let me take a look at your picture. He takes a look at the picture. He goes, you're kind of a homely blankety blank. And Willie could hear it, and he's falling off the chair laughing. I go, <laughs> okay, I, I guess if I'm homely, but I just want to play in the Monday Pro-Am. Lo and behold, he lets me in. I have a pretty good week. Yeah. And not to get ahead of your story, Milwaukee became one of my favorite stops, and Gordon Crest became one of my best <laughs> friends. But it was a great story, and, and Willie texted me the other day. He goes, hey, homely, here's the definition of homely. <laughs> That's and incredible. It was just, I mean, it was just a cool, it was just cool to, to have that. And, and, you know, the year goes by. I, I think I made about... 22,000 and it took 37,782 to keep your card to finish 125th. So now I'm back to tour school. And that was, you know, kind of a bummer. Uh, I get back to tour school and I'm thinking, well, I just got my card. Now I'm back at tour school. I made 13, 14 cuts that year. Thought I played okay at that one stretch, but it wasn't good enough. And go to tour school out West and end up missing by a shot or two. Got a bad ruling at the end. 
that was my fault. I, I should have fought more for the ruling and missed by a shot or two. And so I'm sitting there going like, now where am I going to play? Because I finished 148th on the money list, I was able to get some part-time, I guess, tournaments where I might get in 8 or 10, 12 tournaments on the tour. But there was a tour called the Tournament Player Series, which the top money winner, which is now what you call the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The leading money winner at that tour got their card back. So in 85, the second year, I played, played, I played there. And, and I won at Hattiesburg, which is back to Mississippi. Right. I beat Paul A. Zinger in the playoff. And then I've made a long putt at Albuquerque to beat Kenny Perry. Perry and you know how kind of career he had. Yeah. So I went two out of the first, I guess, the first two events. There were only actually six. Uh, and I had to wait till the last minute, the last day, the last tournament, and end up being the leading money winner. Still played several tournaments that year, but it was then full exempt for 86. And so that was the first time I was fully exempt. And I really felt, all right, now I can free it. I can go play. I played okay in 86, kept my card. And, you know, that was pretty cool. And then 87 rolled around. I had a horrendous year. Lost my card. Go back to tour school and miss. And so now I got nothing. I got nowhere to play. Wow. And I've got to decide, all right, I've been doing this for four years. I've had the dream. I've realized the dream, and it's crashed on me twice. What am I going to do? Yeah, so, I mean, that had to be just the lowest point. I mean. Oh, yeah, because I didn't know where I was going to play. I mean, I still had a little bit of money left over. I wasn't married. You know. And you wouldn't, I mean, four years, you, you were like, oh, I'm going to be in this for Oh, I'm going to be rich. Yeah, I'm going to be here forever. I'm yeah. going to do this. I'm going to do that. And now i got nowhere to play. So I could go play mini tours, and some of those you didn't know if you would put up 400 bucks and right. hope you got paid at the end of the week. Uh, they had the Goosey Tour in Florida. I played a few of those. He was pretty legit. I got to one in Madison, Mississippi at Deerfield where I had made it through tour school, right. and they canceled it. And then I was thankful because I heard they weren't going to pay uh, out, that they may not have enough money. But that day in that tournament kind of changed my life. And I met this young lady named Sissy Meeks, who was your mama in that day. And I met your grandmother. And that day turned my whole kind of life around. And just from that time, it's just way, you know, God has this way of putting you in right. places. You don't know why it's happening. So I was able to go in there and and then meet them. I Monday qualified a bunch that year and got finished second in Milwaukee and got my card back. I go to Tallahassee the last event. I had to make the cut and finish in the top 40 or something. Finished 35th at Tallahassee. Got my card. And I remember trying to count of uh, going like, okay, I think I made it. And I get one, two, three. I couldn't pass five. And my buddy Denny Hepler's going, you made it. I said, no, I didn't. He said, I said, I can't count past eight. I'm so nervous. He goes, you made it. You finished 35th. I go, I can't get to there. And I got to the airport, and I saw one of the tour officials. I said, did I get my, keep my card? He goes, yeah, you finished one, I think it's 122nd or 121st. And so that's kind of, okay, now I got my card back. And it's probably a good way to end this first podcast with yeah. that because I went from nowhere to playing three different times, and now I've got my card back through Monday qualifying. So I, A, made it through tour school and got it. Right. B, leading money winner in the tournament player series. And C, Monday qualifying and a few exemptions. And that's how I got in from that time. It's a good way to end this podcast first one. And we'll have another one next week. It's two podcasts, too. And we'll hear the rest of the story. Man, that is awesome. Man, well, I've enjoyed just hearing your story from a different perspective and being your son. And, um, of course, have heard you tell these stories, you know, a ton of times, but it's, it's been a, a pleasure today and um, 
look forward to the next episode. Yeah, this was a good one to end it on, and we'll go into some of the highlights, and then we'll get a little further. So uh, I appreciate you having me and, and taking my role. Steve Azar, thanks for letting us use your music. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. I'm kind of taking this over for you, Thomas. But uh, uh, how do I end this, whether in life or golf? Whether in life and in golf, you only have one shot. Got to make it count. We'll talk to you later, guys. All right, buddy. Thank you. Pistons pumping in a poor boy's Cadillac Cross the Mississippi, crazy on the pale moonlight